Daily DVR is sponsored by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com, the men's accessories marketplace. Cufflinks.com aims to drive men to one place where they can find all the accessories they could want to elevate their look each day. Go to Cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Use code DVR20 and save 20% off your order. No minimum. Whether it's Star Wars, Marvel, DC, Disney, all that great stuff, or the sports stuff, NCAA, NBA, NFL, or, of course, the classic wearable art, the amazing high-quality Hook and Albert Oxen Bull, and, of course, their own Cufflinks.com brand. We encourage you to elevate your look when you get dressed in the morning. It helps to make you feel more confident and create your individual style. Go to Cufflinks.com DVR today. Today is Friday, June 5th, 2020, and this is Daily DVR. Welcome back to Daily DVR. My name is Axel. You can find out more about us at dvrpodcast.com. If you are a listener to Westworld or Mindhunter, one of our many other podcasts, welcome um, back to doing kind of weekly shows here over the summer, as I talked about on the last episode, probably not going to be doing three shows a week, but this week, this is our second show earlier in the week, Heath did a new film list. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and download it. But tonight we have a very special guest over the summer. I'm hoping to bring people on and just chat about you know, their life, just different creative people. And this is a guy that I've known for, let's see, I'm 45. We probably met when I was like, maybe like 19, maybe, uh, maybe even 18. I'm not sure, but his name is James Rippy. I call him Rippy. He's an old friend. He's a super geek, a dad, a photographer. Uh, he makes amazing cosplay um, he's got so many stories, but I'll let him talk. Rippy, how you doing, pal? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on here, man. Yeah, this is fun, dude. You're on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, my first podcast ever. <laughs> doing a podcast, the Rip Man. Now, let me. I want to start out asking you kind of how you've been doing because we are recording this during the pandemic of uh, coronavirus. You're located out there in North Carolina. I'm here in Oregon. But I have to say, when this thing first hit and they started talking about quarantining, you were literally one of the first people I thought of because you are probably the most extroverted person I've ever met in my life. I mean, there's literally a party at your house every weekend. You have like huge fire pit outside. How have you been doing during this quarantine in general? How's the family? Let's start there. Well, I mean, you know, I would have thought the same thing. And and I had a lot of friends actually check on me uh, when it started and when things started, you know, we were all stuck at home. And because, yes, I love to be around people. I love to be out. It's one of my main things is is being out talking to people. But it's, it's actually been great. Um, my family has been my crowd. They've been my party. My, my two sons, Marcus and James have just been a treat. You know, we, we keep doing different things. My youngest Marcus has been cooking food like you wouldn't believe. And I've been enjoying that because I don't have to cook then. Yeah. Normally I do the cooking in the house, but he's been, he's been banging it out left and right to the point where even like, um, uh, a season, uh, a seasoning place, a, a company that makes seasoning, Spicy Caballero, they sent him spices for him to utilize <laughs> in his cooking because they were so blown away by his cooking that he's been doing and that I've been posting about. So I've actually been really good with being home with the family, playing darts and playing cornhole, you know, and doing things at the house with the, with the family. So, and I'm still online, obviously. I'm doing the whole Zoom thing. I'm doing the whole, you know, uh, Facebook, you know, messenger and video. I've been speaking to people I haven't seen or never seen my entire life because I've actually reconnected with my biological family and cousins that I've never met before. So I've been doing like really freaking cool with that. And I still, because you know, I am the partier, I still get blamed 
for people the next day when they've got vicious <laughs> hangovers. They're like, this is Rippy's fault. I'm like, how the hell did I do it? I'm not even with you, but you're still blaming me that you got too drunk last night? Hey, listen, <laughs> man, if there's one person that could get you psychically drunk, it's you, brother. Apparently. <clears throat> apparently. But that's good. Yeah, I feel the same. You know, that's a thing that I think this is a time where you can come together with family. I've been having such a great time going on bike rides and hanging out with my son and having my wife home. It was tough at the beginning because she is working full time and we have a small house. So we kind of, you know, we have to leave her alone, let her do her thing. But otherwise it has been pretty awesome. And, you know, I'm not, I'm a bit of an introvert. So I have, I, I, I don't go out that much anyway, so it hasn't been like that much different except for just spending more time with family. It's been a great time. And to and like you're saying, to connect with and doing something like this, this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Now, I'm tr- I was trying to remember when we first met. You knew my friend Ludwig, Ludwig von Baumgartner, um mm-hmm. <laughs> from uh how do you know him and how did we meet? When how old were you? Um it I think it was ninety around ninety-four. I think okay. it must because I was working at with, with Lou at uh Dial America. Oh that's we, right. <laughs> that's right. You were Dial America. Oh my god. Right. That was the coincidence that Lou and I we met at college, but then we had both worked at and then we returned to jobs at Dial America. We made so much cash off them, man. Oh yeah. Oh man. Those And were then the he days. introduced me to you, man. And it's yeah, so we're looking at like well over twenty plus years of knowing each other and being yeah, friends. That is crazy. Yeah, Dial America. We went to we also went to Woodstock. 90 something. What was it? 94. Yeah. Woodstock 94. <laughs> 94. It had to have been right before that. Uh, it, yeah. I, I thought it was even earlier because yes. it might've been 93 when I went into college. Cause I graduated high school in 93. Okay. And started at William Patterson college at the time in 93, the fall semester. So it must've been around that time that I met Lou and you guys for us to then go to Woodstock 94 in August. Okay, cool. And for the and for those who don't know, we're talking about we're both from New Jersey. I'm from more well, you're from more northern than me, really, I guess technically, right? Yep, Paramus. Yeah, Paramus, baby. And the I'm mall capital. Paramus <laughs> Mall, man. Is that still there? The Paramus Mall? Oh yeah, all the malls are there. I mean, Paramus had about 10 different malls. And still does, as far as I know. Oh, my gosh, man. Well, see, I was more familiar with, like, Short Hills Mall, Livingston Mall. That was more of uh, – Livingston Mall was my favorite. They had a great comic book shop there. But uh, speaking of that, you are a super geeky dude. And that's something that we've shared as long as we've known each other. I mean, I think that you and Lou probably were talking about comic books not soon after you met because I know Lou is really into comic books. But tell me a little bit about how you got involved. And, you know, I don't even know if I know the origin story of how you got involved with what's it called? Is it the 501st? Is that what it's called? Yeah, the 501st is one of the Star Wars costuming groups. Yes. Okay, so how did you get involved with all that? Because you went on to create and make like professional Star Wars cosplay, amazing stuff. But how did you first start on that? Um, well, what what first introduced me to it was I had a father-son trip. I mean, I've been a Star Wars fan since I was a kid. I was two years old when the first movie came out. Um, literally was brought to the movie theater, the Templex in Paramus by my father to see Star Wars and became a huge Star Wars fan. So I was already there. Then, um, while I was owning a bar in Chapel Hill, one of the girls that worked for me for literally a day, she worked for me for a day. Um, but during that time I became friends with her and she's like, there's a convention called Star Wars Celebration that happens in Orlando. Or it did at that point. It was in Orlando. It's jumped all over the place since. But she's like, you should check it out. And I looked it up. And I'm like, this is a whole weekend dedicated to Star Wars. 
let me go check this out. And I did like a father son trip and I took my kid. He was, James was six years old and it was just him and I, and we drove to Florida, went down there and there's this huge convention. It's all star Wars. Everything is star Wars. And I was just blown out of the water because I'm seeing all these people in these amazing costumes and stuff. And I'm thinking like, they must've spent a pretty penny to have all yeah. these people dressed up in costumes. And then I found out these were fans. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? These are fans. And they're like, no, yeah, these are people. They made their own costumes or they purchased parts of it or whatever, but they're, these are fans. And I was just like, oh, well shit, I got, I, I got to do this. <laughs> this is, I need to be a character or something in star Wars. So the first group I joined was actually the Mandalorian Mercs, um, which it's funny. The 501st and the Mandalorian Mercs are originated out of North Carolina. Um, Tom Hudson started the Mandalorian Mercs and Alvin Johnson started the 501st. So, you know, I jumped into the Mandalorian costume first. I made it and it's, it's made out of metal and everything. I learned how to bend metal and form and shape it and sew and do all this crazy stuff. And you had never done anything like this before. You'd never made costume. You had never been interested in designing clothes or anything like that. Because, I mean, you, I, I've seen you in the costumes that you've created and they're absolutely amazing. But regularly, you're like me. You're like kind of like a jean shorts t-shirt guy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it was not something I thought I was ever going to do. I mean, my mother taught me sewing when I was growing up. I okay. mean, my mother was an artist. She was a painter. She got me involved in the art, and that's what stemmed my photography because she took pictures and everything. But the whole costuming concept was not something I ever thought I would do. And so I just started learning and hitting up different people in the Mandalorian merch to learn how to make it. And so I made my first costume, which is Slivid Kane, which is a Mandalorian, um, which everyone now, luckily, thanks to the TV show Mandalorian, now understand not everyone that looks like that is Boba Fett. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they're actually, it's it's their own individual. And Slivid Kane was mine, which is, uh, the color scheme is red, black, and white, which is my love for hockey. And the fact that I like the devils and the hurricane. So Slivid is devils backward. And Kane is for in honor of the Hurricanes. So Slivid Kane is my character. And then from there, I was able to purchase. I didn't make the one for the 501st. I purchased from a member, but I had to modify it. I had to change it and fix things on it in order to get approved for the 501st. I did Darth Nihilus, which is from the Old Republic uh, video game. And that was my costume I did for the 501st. So between those two costuming groups, you start to go out and do charity events and different things. So like anytime you see at a sporting event, people dressed up in star Wars costumes, they're either in the 501st, the Mandalorian Mercs, the rebel Legion, or, or the Sith cheerleaders, the rebel cheerleaders, like any of those costuming groups that help support and raise money for different charities and stuff. That's awesome. So you ha in order to get in, you have to like make, your own costume and some, does someone approve it in the group? Like, is there a hierarchy or rules? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's a big hierarchy. I mean, there's literally for each one of the groups, there's what's called CRLs costume requirement list. So when you, when you want to build a costume, you have to follow those CRLs. And in some aspects, it's very, very minute details that have to be followed, like especially for the 501st, it has to be movie accurate. It literally has to look the way it did on the screen. So if you have like a glove that has two lines of stitching on the back of it, if you have three lines, nope, it's got to be fixed. It's got to be done exactly the same way. So that's why I went with the Mandalorian Mercs first, because it's a little bit more, there's a lot more leeway as far as being original with your character. But there's some basics like you have to have either a backplate or you have to have a cape or you have to have a loincloth or you have to have a cod piece. You know, it's a, a cod piece. A cod piece. <laughs> and I, I went with the loincloth because a cod piece, you can't sit down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can't sit down with those things. Yeah. 
don't want to don't accidentally slice the nuts. That's never, uh, no. that's, that's never good. So that's interesting. Are there, so if there is these rules, are you saying that like, say the Mercs are more of a, they're, are they more open or are they more of like an intro group? Like people move up in groups too. Like there's a hierarchy of different groups until you reach like the, the pinnacle of the star Wars cosplay groups. Well, I mean, you know, as far as hierarchy, there's only like there's officers in the groups. There's people that handle different aspects of how the group is run. I mean, the 501st is around the world. So, you know, you've got each state has its own garrison. So, you know, the Carolina garrison, you know, cover, it covers actually South and North Carolina and all the members that are in the state. And there's officers that handle membership approval, uh, their media pages, you know, and, you know, whatever. It's your basic officers like you'd have for a business running each one of these garrisons. So, you know, like in the beginning, it was just Alvin Johnson and his buddies going to movies and seeing Star Wars and dressing up as stormtroopers. And then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And now the the 501st and the Marks, I believe, are tied in with Disney and approved by Disney for what they do. Oh, okay. It's so then they can get like the hookup, like, hey, we're we're going to do this event. We'd like for you all to come out. They have like a relationship like that with them. Oh, to the point of like, if, if you've watched the Mandalorian, um, one of the big battle episodes where they have a ton of stormtroopers and death troopers and stuff um, showing up near the end of the series. Majority of the people used for that were actually 501st stormtroopers in there and in costumes they made too. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so they literally smart. called on their fan base and said, Hey, you guys come on out because Dave Filioni and, and, and them, he, he knows the crew crew. He knows these people. He knows what the 501st can do. And it's like, you know what? Why hire actors and have, you know, our, our makeup department or, or, or our wardrobe department have to figure out how to make Star Wars costumes? We can just pull these guys because yeah. they're already movie screen accurate. They know what to do. Let's bring them out. That's so awesome that they made those costumes in like reverence to Star Wars and mm-hmm. they made them so <laughs> realistic. They end up being like even getting to a next level of being like show worn stuff, right? Because in the world, isn't do people seek out the actual costumes as well, right? And it's different if it was actually worn in the film or a TV show or something. I'm sure those are like super expensive, but that's awesome for them to be able to do that. That's super the, cool. The funny thing is, is that the costumes that were used in the movies aren't even close to being as well built as what the yeah. fan made. I would imagine. <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> it's insane. Like there's gaffer tape being used to yeah. hold stormtroopers together in the movies. And the ones that people wear now are just so much more well built. It, it, it's, it's insane. The difference. Yeah. Well, Hey, people forget. I mean, I say this all the time is that star war there. Those are independent films. George mm-hmm. Lucas was an independent. He produced directed funded, you know, I mean, created ILM, you know, all this. So these were yeah. not what we now recognize as these big Disney blockbusters, you know, it, you should always remind yourself that it started with an independent filmmaker with an idea that everybody laughed at. Yeah. You know, including you make, like, the space spaghetti Western. Yeah, You're yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's that old story. Um, what's that book? Uh, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls of when Scorsese and a bunch of other direct Spielberg, Coppola. Uh, I think Brian De Palma, they all watched like an early cut of Star Wars and they were like laughing at him. And like Spielberg was the only one who came up to him was like, that was awesome. (laughs) Like like, this is going to be the biggest thing ever. And everyone else was like, that was ridiculously stupid. You're not even making movies for adults and we're trying to change cinema. And then meanwhile, you know, Scorsese's on Netflix and. He sells Star Wars for billions of dollars, right? Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's interesting. But uh, through this, 
Oh, the thing I want to ask about um, this as well is there's contests too, right? Like that's a part of it. What do you mean by contest? You mean like the cosplay contest? Yeah. Like, do you, is that a part of it too? Like, do people or do, do they, do you get into that aspect? Did you get into that aspect of it or how serious is that? Or did you find it's more so the hanging out, the mate? Cause you would have big groups of people come over. So, but was there like a goal of like winning a big contest or something like at celebration? Well, I mean, celebration is its own beast. Um, regular conventions are a different story altogether because regular conventions aren't just Star Wars. So it's across the board. And yeah, I mean, I had started a group, you know, it was a uh, kind of a joke in the beginning, but it actually became something. Uh, and it lasted for a good eight years called the 105th Squad um, because my birthday is October 5th and it just happened to be the opposite of 501st. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't like a dig at the five of us because that's what first started for me. So it was a kind of a, it was inspiring to me. Um, and we, we teach people, we taught people how to make costumes for all different genres, like anything you wanted to make, we'd help you learn how to make things. And at, at conventions, they usually have a costume competition. And for me, like I won a few awards. My wife and I won an award. I was dressed up as uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, and she was uh, Esmeralda. You know, um, we I won awards with that, but it wasn't. It, it's just for some people, it's a really big thing, and they take it really, really seriously. And in some of these conventions, the prize money is actually pretty big. Yeah, but that's where sometimes the drama gets in. And like, you know, there's been shows out there. I forgot what the name, there was one with Yaya Han out there where, and she was a big cosplayer name and people just, they start getting, you start losing the fun, you know, like you're, you're, you're more concerned about winning a competition than dressing up as one of your favorite characters because you're paying homage to something that you love. So, you know, it, it, it is out there. It is something that people get really riled up about. Not something I really got into. We just did it once or twice when it was a smaller convention and they just needed more competitors because there wasn't enough people um, going into these things. Yeah, I could see that, man. I could see that being a whole nother side of it. That, you know, like they do a documentary about it and that's what they concentrate on. And meanwhile, what it's really about is hang out with people, kind of just chilling while you build these things together, learning from other people, perfecting your craft, having fun, you know? I mean, I'm sure you, I used to see pictures online of you having like 80, 100 people over at your house and everybody's building costumes and dressed up and reenacting Star Wars shit. It was awesome. Yeah, I mean, that was the 105th. I mean, it was, we were a, a force to be reckoned with at, at one point. We were growing so fast. And, you know, like I said, like it originally just started off as a, you know, kind of a thing. There were seven of us and we're like, we're just going to teach people how to make costumes. And it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And to a point where I went to Dragon Con one year, which is a huge convention in Atlanta on Labor Day weekend. And, you know, by the time I got home, we went from having seven members to like 70 members. Wow. And I was like, okay, well, this just took a step up. And it got so crazy with the amount of people joining us in different states and stuff that we actually formed a 501c3 charity. So it, it was pretty cool. What, it, what was that? What, what did that enable you to do? Well, I mean, you know, we did it enabled us to basically support other charities as well, but we were considered a charity in the artist realm and supporting um, other people. So we could get funding from groups and stuff and people would make donations so we can teach people how to make costumes and then give back to the community. Um, you know, like we, we were ones showing up for the Carolina hurricanes games. They'd have around Halloween, they'd have a hero's night and it was us all dressed up in different costumes, you know, going in there. We had, I mean, we built a dragon. We, if you've played a game Skyrim, there's a dragon in it called Alduin is the main bad, bad dragon. 
and we built a replica of it, a 20 foot long replica that I would be inside and be able to walk around in. (laughs) It had a wingspan of 15 freaking feet. That's awesome. And I had a camera on the inside so I could see people in front of me. And, you know, it was just nuts. But, like, you know, we do all these different things out there and get out there. We did autism walks in Raleigh um, with uh, Addie Miller from The Walking Dead um, because I became friends with her and her family through all this. Um, went out there cause her yard brothers both have autism and we do this 5k walk in this huge dragon along with a ton of other dressed up people with them. And it brought attention to other charities and supported those things. That's awesome, dude. That's awesome. And you also got to experience, um, getting to know Peter Mayhew, and and being a part of like kind of like the Star Wars family, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, Peter. Peter was an amazing man. I mean, I never in my entire life, being a Star Wars fan, ever ever would have expected that I would have opened that door and wound up meeting him. Um, I, you know, at Celebration Six or Five, when I first went to the thing that, with my son. We met him, got an autograph, just like everyone else, got a picture with him, like, hey, it's Chewbacca. And then later on, um, I went to Philly Comic-Con. They had a Comic-Con in Philadelphia. And I was outside having a cigarette, and his wife, uh, Angie, and him came outside, and they were having a cigarette. And at the same time, mind you, like I said, there's a lot of charity that revolves around cosplay, And, well, there was a little girl in California that was dying of some unknown disease at that point. And I was trying to help out raise awareness for this little girl. And I became what what is called Leia's Angels because her name was Leia, amazingly enough. Um, So, you know, I had this wristband and all this stuff that says I was a Leia's Angel. And I'm like, hey, I'm an angel also like you guys because he was one and she was one. And we started talking and we're just hanging out. And then they said, hey, you know, we'd like to hang out with you at Dragon Con. Are you guys going? And I said, yeah, you know, my wife and I are going with the kids. This will be our first Dragon Con ever. And him and his wife are like, well, we're going to be hosting an absinthe party if you guys want to go. Now, I, you know, the pause was right there in my head, like, hold on. This is too much to, to, to swallow at the moment. Like, did you just say, first off, you want us to hang out with you? Second off did you just say absinthe like green fairy liquor? Like we're going to get messed up and hallucinate and whatever. Nice. Okay. I had no, I was like, I was like, yeah, I'm fucking in. I am so in on this. I'm going. So I got their information, blah, blah, blah. They messaged me a few times over the summer. And then we went to dragon con and we hung out with them and had an absolute blast. And, you know, there's, I, I mean, I can literally spend the rest of the show just even talking about that one time, but we became friends. And from that point on, like, you know, I'm texting back and forth with Chewbacca and his wife and family left and right. You know, he got his legs replaced. The bones in his legs had to be replaced. And he's sending me pictures of, you know, the, the bone that they're going to be putting in his leg compared to a normal human's bone, a normal human's bone, which was insane. I mean, just how tall he was, you know, he was, he was seven foot two and the difference between those bones. And then, you know, they're, they're measuring. So he sends me a picture of him holding this tape measure out in front of him like he's measuring his dick. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm getting these messages from freaking Chewbacca. Like, like, are you kidding me? Like, it just blew my mind. And then, you know, they always invited me to come out to visit them at their house in Texas. And after my father had passed away, I was in a really deep, dark spot. And then they said, you know, hey, you know, we've got some weekends coming up. We're going to be home. Do you want to come on out? And my wife was like, you better go. And I was like, uh, okay. So I went and spent a four-day weekend out at his house. And it was such a crazy, crazy time. I mean, I'm sure, like, you know, I don't know how old your normal listening base is, but I know our age, you've heard the phrase, you know, if EF Hunton speaks, everybody listens. Like, do you remember that? Yeah, of course. Okay, that's what I was all weekend because Peter would be sitting out on his back porch smoking a cigarette with me and I was just all ears. 
I wouldn't, I didn't want to, I, I barely spoke. Cause I was just like, keep going, keep going. Tell me, fill me in. Like hearing all the dirt from behind the scenes and all the goofy stuff that would happen. Like the times that they'd leave him in the millennium Falcon in his costume and then call lunch break. <laughs> and he'd be in the costume. Like I'm stuck. Can't do anything. Can't get out of this. Where's everyone going? <laughs> they, would, they would leave for lunch and leave him in the freaking cockpit of the millennium Falcon. Like crazy, crazy stories. Um, you know, them partying, him having to bring um, uh, Kenny Baker, who played R2-D2, carrying him back to a room, passed out drunk. The, you know, can you imagine seeing seven foot two Peter Mayhew walking through a hotel lobby with a passed out little person in his arms, you know, <laughs> you know, bringing him back to the room? Like I can just, you know, the bellhop must have been like, what the hell is happening right now? And so he's telling me and regaling all these amazing stories and just blew my mind. And then on the very last day, you know, me being a photographer, I wanted to do his headshot. And cause that's what I, my specialty is, is doing portraits. And I, you know, the whole weekend we talked about it. He wasn't feeling great. I was like, all right, if it's not going to happen, don't worry about it. I'm not going to sweat it. Um, on the very last day, about 45 minutes before I was supposed to get on my plane, he texts me because they have a, the property that they live on has like three different houses on it. It's his wife's family's land. They, they've owned it for freaking generations. So I'm at their daughter's house on the property and they text me and say, Peter is ready. He wants to do his photos now. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I've got 45 minutes before I got to leave here and jump on a plane back to North Carolina. I bolt back up to his house. I pull out my suitcase. I'm throwing clothes in all directions bringing out my gear, setting up a backdrop, setting up lighting. They're like, oh, my God, you really have, like, all your gear. I'm like, dude, I'm taking a photo of freaking Chewbacca. I'm not screwing around. I'm not showing up with a point and shoot and be like, yay, we got a picture. Like, no, I'm doing this shit right. And nailed it, got the photos of him, a lot of great photos of him, and then packed it all up. I was like, I love you guys. I'm out and jumped back on my plane and came home. So, like, you know, it's been amazing being, you know, I still talk to his wife and his daughter and stuff, you know, now, even after he passed and, but he was such an amazing and warm, gentle giant. That's awesome, dude. And, uh, that's kind of like the spirit of star Wars. He, he's just a normal dude. Had you, have you seen that? Um, uh, what well, it's called something else Ellsworth about the people who were in the background of star Wars. It's a documentary. I don't think I have. Okay. Yeah. This, I, I, I'll send you a link to that. That's interesting. But you mentioned your photography. You, um, have you now you've had to close your studio due, uh, due to coronavirus? Is that, that's something that happened recently. Do you think you're going to open it back up? Tell us a little bit about the photography you've been doing in Durham. Cause you've been taking great shots, man. I mean, I love it. Dude. I mean, I, yeah, I had to sh shut down my studio. I had it open for two years. And, you know, on Main Street in Durham, not the cheapest rent. Yeah. And unfortunately, with when the virus hit, I lost all my corporate clients. And that was the huge part of my business was doing headshots for businesses. And, you know, obviously, what's my job is getting in front of people. Well, you can't do that in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. So all of my clients just wiped out and I tried to work things out with my landlord and they pretty much were like, well, we need full rent. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I can't do that. So Riptown Photography had to close. Um, so now I'm back as James Rippy Photography. Um, so on Facebook, like it went from being Riptown Photography to James Rippy Photography. And, it, you know, it's just changing of a name. So, but the studio itself had closed, but I'm still working. I'm still doing headshots. I'm still like, things are building back up now. And today I just went scouting a location with one of my models, um, doing a photo shoot out in a river. And like one of the goals that like, we were looking at this spot, and it's really cool. There's this huge, huge tree that's spread out over this river and these cool upright rocks that look really neat. So we, we scattered a cool bunch of different locations to photograph in. But I told her, I said, I want to do something different. 
I want to do, because like usually when you see a photographer, they shoot people like a girl, a beautiful girl in a river. They're always like, oh, it's a, you know, let's put her in a flowing white shirt, you know, outfit yeah. and get her wet and make her look like a woodland fairy or some stuff. A nymph. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, I was like, I really want to do a juxtaposition, something different. Like maybe you looking like, you know, from the industrial age or something, you know, out there and just something totally juxtaposed against nature. So, you know, we're working on that concept right now. So that's kind of the next set I'm working on at the moment, but still doing the headshots. I'm doing family photos for, you know, families up from their porch because I'm using my zoom lens. So we're social distance. I'm staying away from people and uh, still doing corporate headshots and graduate photos. Yeah. How's, how's Durham doing, man? Gosh, I've been, it's been like five years since I left. It was, it was coming up when I was there. I mean, I know Corona is not doing anybody any good, but in general, how is it feeling? Durham itself. I mean, you know, downtown is, is beautiful. It's amazing. And has been the most peaceful protest going on right now. Like it's been beautiful the way things have been going down uh, downtown with the with the protests and the way the community has rallied together and the way the police department has been rallying with them. Yeah, I, I had a lot of great times there, man. Yep. Perhaps one day I'll make it back to the old Durham, the Duke campus. I hope so, man. I mean, you, you literally, you know, <laughs> you know, I move here and then I find out like, Oh, where do you live? Oh, you're like Around less than five minutes from me. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm moving. I'm like, God dang it. <laughs> yeah. I had to come out Not to Oregon. There. Well, it's the weather, man. It's so hot there, dude. I, I, you know, taking a little break from this show to remind you again of our amazing presenting sponsor, cufflinks.com. They've been with us for over a year. We're so proud to have them, so go out and support them. If you're a listener to any of our podcasts, take a moment right now, type in cufflinks.com slash DVR into that old web browser, and you will arrive, and you will be amazed, happy, surprised at the amazing products that cufflinks.com has. You might think to yourself, hey, I don't have an informal event coming up. You know, I'm not into cufflinks. But guess what? They have a lot more than that. Actually, I'm wearing a pair of Star Wars socks that they sent me. Cufflinks.com is where it's at. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. I, really, Durham is a cool spot. There's a lot of great people, a lot of great food. Um, I mean, you have the universities there, Duke and UNC. But I think that the communities of Durham and Chapel Hill and Carborough are kind of unique and there's a lot of creative people around there as well. So I know that you also do a lot of creative shots with models and all types of different people out there. I've seen a lot of that stuff. That's awesome. And I'm sure, you know, hopefully when this virus passes, you get back to doing stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, that's, you know, right now it's just it's modifying what I'm doing. I've got my models that are willing to, you know, understand that we're not shooting in the studio anymore Everything's going to be outside, so we're going to create outside. That's fine. It still works. Yeah, that's cool. All right, man. Well, you know what? Um, I wanted to also talk about something with you because you're such a fan of comic books and films and geek stuff. And I know that you looked beautiful when you were dressed up as Harley Quinn. Uh, That was a... Great shot there. <laughs> Perhaps one of the most scary things I've seen in my I showed that to my son. Those and, and become legendary. <laughs> my cleavage become legendary because of that. Oh, man. Well, I'll tell you, it is legendary. Yeah, Lachlan was kind of like, wow. And he just like <laughs> walked away. He was like, that, that was interesting. Um, but, uh, you know, I know that you're a fan of these movies. Are you more of a DC or a Marvel guy? I'm a DC fan. Okay. So let's talk about this Snyder Cut, man. Because I've been wanting to talk about this, and you're a guy that I can chat about. Uh, I have mixed feelings, both kind of uh, artistically, comic book, business-wise. But I like to hear your take. Of course, we're talking about 
the uh, the film Justice League that Zack Snyder was supposed to direct a follow up to what did he do? Super did he do Man of Steel, Batman, Superman, and then Justice League? Right? Yeah. Okay. So he had to leave production because tragically his daughter committed suicide, I believe. And uh, Joss Whedon took over and supposedly changed the whole film. You know, it became a movement online. Uh, controversy surrounds it, whether people were being bullying, uh, you know, who really these people were petitioning the studio to let him release his cut and do an edit or did it exist? And what eventually happened is after all this crazy hashtags and whatnot, when HBO Max, about, what was it, two days before HBO Max came out or started streaming, they announced that they're going to give Joss Whedon 20 or $30 million to make this Snyder Cut. That it doesn't actually exist because he has to do some uh, CGI, some voiceovers, some editing, though they're not going to do any reshooting. But um, what was your opinion of these films, of him, and what do you think about this the controversy or really any point of it? Well, I guess, you know, I'll touch base on the, the, the Snyder Cut thing. Like, I guess, you know, the, the debate that they're, they're trying to say is that when you're, I guess, fan service is the phrase yeah. that they say. You know, that, that like, oh, enough people have whined and complained, so we're going to remake something, we're going to fix things and give the fans what they want. And whether or not this is going to be a new norm, um, allowing films to, you know, fan bases to bitch and moan enough to change a movie. And, you know, it's a tough one as far as saying, like, yes or no on that. But, I mean, for me being a DC fan, DC has not really picked up the ball great when it comes to making movies. They've been great on their TV shows. I've always loved their yeah. TV shows. But when it comes to the movies, it's like you, you, you're, it's like you're putting someone in a room that's a, possibly a DC fan and then someone that is also a DC fan but sees DC in a different light and they're fighting over how the movie gets made. So then when it's made – it's not really what it should have been, you know, while at the same time on the Marvel side, Marvel movies have been amazing, but Marvel TV shows have pretty much sucked. And as far as I'm concerned, they haven't held the same weight that DC does with TV. So when it comes to Justice League, like, you know, I watched Justice League. Yeah, it was, it was okay. It wasn't anything spectacular in my my mind as a DC fan. And, you know, is the Snyder Cut going to be better? Maybe. But, I mean, is, do we really need it? Is, is it? is it really something that's needed to be seen? Yeah, no, you know? none of this is needed. <laughs> I thought it was awful, man. I, and I thought that out of the three films that he made – and I used to be, you know, I'm kind of a little bit snobbish when it comes to the films. And I still think, you know, the Marvel films, some of them are great. Ragnarok's the best one to me because of the director. And I feel it had a spirit behind it. And I actually appreciated that DC was kind of handing the keys over to Zack Snyder, though I'm not the biggest fan of Zack Snyder. I think that his uh, Dawn of the Dead remake was pretty damn good and pretty faithful too. And um, what? Oh, the Three Hundred. I thought that was fun, right? It was stupid fun. Um, yeah. And that's what I thought. Maybe these films would be kind of. They would take on a little bit more of that rather than this overly serious, heavy-handed approach that. You know, Superman is a dark character. The Batfleck is like laughable to me. That was that I don't even really consider him to be Batman. That was yeah. it was just he was just kind of silly. Um, the kid they got to play the Flash was pretty good in Justice yeah. League. I, I enjoyed him, yeah. and they've been talking about having him do a movie. I think he's actually been trying to write one and get it made. Um, but overall, I felt that. 
it just was a huge misfire. The tone was so se- – I mean – I, I honestly, this is saying I would rather watch like a Fast and Furious movie again than any of that. And that's like torture hearing Vin Diesel talk about family. I mean, I can't. <laughs> You're absolutely right on that. I mean, I could totally, you know, when I'm flipping through movies on friggin' Prime or Netflix or whatever, like I can totally rewatch half of the Marvel movies. Yes. But like that one, like, I'm like, no, I, no. no. There's no fun. There's no joy in, there's no wonder in them being superheroes or something otherworldly. It's just darkness and menace and, you know, Zack Snyder trying to convince us that, you know, you have to be tough or the world is hard. You need to be a rugged individual or something. And I don't think, I mean, I'm probably going to end up watching the dumb movie. Oh, he did Watchmen too, which, you know, we covered Watchmen. You know, I'm not a huge fan of the movie, but uh, I thought it was good. I mean, he's a professional director. I'll say that much for him, you know, and he has a vision. But um, I think that this is really HBO or the owners trying to um, give credence to HBO Max rather than did they actually listen to the fans. I think it gives the false impression that this happened because the fans were so behind it. And I think it's a part of it that it brought it brought it to light and it allowed them to take advantage of the publicity. But the timing of it, when HBO Max had nothing really to offer but friends and, <clears throat> excuse me, one new series with Anna Kendrick... I think that this was really why they did it. So fans that feel like this is going to mean some change in, you know, if we petition the studio, you know, that's not going to happen. I mean, remember back in the day when people sent, um, what was that show called about after there's a nuclear war in America, Jericho. And the fans sent like peanut butter cups or something because it was part of the, the story to get it to do another season and everyone was like, yeah, that's why they did it. No, they did it so they could reach enough to sell it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that they need to, I'm also actually more of a DC fan growing up than Marvel. And, uh, I think that they just need, what they need to do is get rid of Zack Snyder. And I think if anything, this gives credence to, the idea that he somehow had the right idea how to make a movie about all these characters because he wanted to do all the darkness and the menace. And you'd think that Batman would be a natural home, but actually that was like the worst out of all of the characters. Yeah. Batfleck really did not play well with me. I mean, you know, I am a huge Batman fan. I mean, there's literally when it comes to my fandom, Batman is the comic book that I collected since I was a kid. You know, I mean, that's obviously what made me become a Harlequin fan was because of my love for Batman. And, you know, watching the different iterations of Batman over the years from, you know, Michael Keaton all the way to, you know, Bat- Batfleck or whatever. And we have the new guy now <laughs> with the new movie coming out. Um, you know, I'm excited about that. I'm really excited about Pattison. I think that yeah. was a great choice. It's it's a very interesting look on them. It's a very interesting, you know, style that they're going with, you know, because there was so many cool different styles of Batman in the comics, like Batman year one, amazing yeah. stuff. You know, the stuff from, uh, um, what was it? Oh, I had a whole series um, and I'm blanking on the names. See, you know, when you want to go on a rant and all of a sudden your your, your names fall out oh, of your there's head. there's so many, but that's Frank, part Frank of the Miller, thing. Batman, Frank yeah, Miller, yeah. Uh, his Batman, like he was old and stuff. That's why they said they should do that series with Michael Keaton again, because Michael Keaton is old and looks like he could be that Batman. Yeah. You know, I'd like to see that. That's what I'd like to see come out of. They well, told me. Michael Keaton was going to do Batman and they're going to do the Frank Miller version like from, <laughs> from that series. I would so be behind that with Robin is like some like short haired girl 
you know, that, that, that's there. And the Joker has just totally gone off the rails. You know, I'm totally down with that. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm interested in Pattison and what uh, Reeves might do with it because to me, the mistake was, uh, you can't really, I mean, the Nolan movies are Nolan movies, even more than their Batman movies. Those are just amazing pieces of art and I love all of them. Uh, they just yeah. kind of stand on their own. You can't really, it's like, it's not really, I don't really even, when the people talk about like comic book movies or superhero movies, I don't really even think about that because he transposed different ideas onto Batman. And in many ways, I thought Christian Bale was just so blank in those films purposefully. Yeah. Um, and uh, as opposed to like Michael Keaton, who I thought was so emotional and played a really deep, uh, conflicted Batman, but who you kind of sensed had a good heart, right? And I mean, it was a different time and it's a different director. But with Pattison, I like the idea that they're going after Batman being the smartest and the greatest detective, not some, not just the rich millionaire playboy with all the high tech toys and all that but that he was the smartest guy because that's what always attracted me to Batman. Cause that's really his superpower is he's the smartest guy in the room and he can figure out he's like the Sherlock Holmes. I mean, he started in detective comics. Mm -hmm. That's like what the character is. So I appreciate like you saying the Frank Miller stuff and the stuff that delves into his psyche as like this disturbed, like you know, and the, the idea that the Joker is Batman, I always love that idea. Yeah, I heard of that. Yeah, yeah that that's actually the same person. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that, or that he was one of the Jokers. Um, I yeah. think that that's kind of a cool idea too. But really, what I always loved when he was just figuring out detective stories and figuring out uh, like who murdered or who was trying to frame him or get him or like uh, they, you know, what DC has done well is the animated films. I'm a huge fan of those. I just watched um, the latest um, Superman. Uh, what's it called? Red sun. Okay. Uh, about it. When Superman is, uh, grows up in the Soviet union instead of the cornfields. Of America, and that's great. The animated. Have you seen the DC animated films? I've seen a few. I mean, obviously, you know the ones with Harley. Yeah. I've watched um, the Assault on Arkham. Yes, that was fun. That was great. Um, you know, obviously, uh, I used to have my phone. My notification was Harley Quinn going Yahtzee because <laughs> apparently that's what she says when she's having an orgasm. <laughs> what did you think of the movie? The um, the Harley Quinn movie. I, dude, I, Margot Robbie's representation of Harley, I think, is great. She is amazing at doing Harley Quinn. Um, the movies themselves have been kind of a tough pill to swallow. Um, like Suicide Squad, you know, it's just there was a lot of things I was having issues with. Yeah, no, from the, the pacing of the movie. It didn't work. Um, down to, like, you know, just the way some people were represented in it. But then the, the new movie, which was stupidly called Birds of Prey, like to me, it was just so dumb that it was even called Birds of Prey. It should have just been Harley Quinn because you didn't even hear a representation of uh, Birds of Birds of Prey till the end of it. Yeah. You know, and I get it. Like, you know, Birds of Prey and the fabulous. Yeah, they had a problem with that. Yeah. Like, and, and they even said that they were going to change the title yeah. afterwards or whatever. Like it was, it was about Harley. It wasn't about them, you know. Like yes, there were there were there were you know side characters that were dealing with their own crap, and then eventually formed Birds of Prey. Get it? But it was about Harley. It was about Harley breaking up with a freaking Joker and trying to like move on with her life. And being someone that reads the comic books, you know, that was a huge thing in the comic books. Watching the new Fifty Two version of Harley Quinn moving on with her life trying to be good, you know, without the Joker, but her way of being good wasn't always the right way to do things because like, you know, she went and beat the crap and killed some people because they were screwing with her postman, 
you know, the guy dropping off her mail and they were, they were harassing him. And then like, you know, she winds up killing them and stuff uh, because that's what Harley Harley does. You know, she kind of brings things uh, overboard, you know, even though she's fighting for what she feels is right to protect people. Yeah. So Margot Robbie Robbie even did that. Like you can see when he's, you know, yes, she had an ulterior motive, but even protecting the girl or even, you know, the, 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 the restaurant owner in, in the store, mm-hmm. like anyone messing with these people. She's like, no, you don't mess with my people. You don't mess with my friends and my family. I will fuck you up if you do, you know? So she really did a great job with that. But the movies themselves, I, I actually kind of like the second one better when it comes, you know, cause it's more Harley. Oh, definitely. I thought that was actually when it first came out and was coming out, I was like, Oh God. I mean, suicide squad was so terrible and just like, I was just dreading having to see Jared Leto on a, on the screen. Um, but then Ashea, who I covered Better Call Saul with, uh, told me one time before we were recording, hey, you should check out this movie. It's pretty fun. And I really liked it. I thought it was pretty fun. I thought that it seemed kind of auteur-driven, that the director had an idea and that the cast, like everyone was on board with it. It was, it completed a thought of what this character was and a journey that they went on. And then eventually, you know, the, it's really an origin story of sorts of the crew. Yeah. Um, and I thought she was really good too. And it played well as um, the action was very propulsive. It had a very simple plot, you mm-hmm. know, and you just followed along. It reminded me, and even like the way the sets were designed and everything reminded me a little of Dread. I don't know if you ever saw that with Carl Urban. Yeah. That was yep. great, where it just is just kind of follows a very simple story, but the character it grows with it. It has even like a seventies kind of throwback to it. I appreciated it. Um, if they if DC keeps on doing that. And finding someone who can resonate with a character and then make a fun movie, then I'm all for it. I think that that if, even if you know they do another one of those movies, and yeah, Margot Robbie is she's a great actress, man. I mean, she's she can really kind of do it all. I mean, they did give some fan service, which I was very appreciative of for those that read the new Fifty Two. I mean, bringing in roller derby, um, Harley Quinn. That's a big thing in the new 52 comic, okay. you know, that's, that's one of her things. Like she has a whole team that she, she roller derbies with and exactly that. Like she uses that as an outlet to beat the crap out of people, you know, and Bernie um, being in the movie. Now, I don't know if you know, you uh, Bernie is the beaver. Like it, <laughs> I yeah, that, that's a stuffed beaver. That, uh, if I'm correct in the comic book, was given to her by one of her first boyfriends um, when she was growing up, and she kept it. And Bernie is kind of like her conscience. And they don't, they, they touched it, they touched base on it, but they didn't really delve into it. But yeah, like literally, Bernie, half of the time in the comic books, are like, you realize you're going about this all wrong. You realize what you're doing is way overreacting. You realize, like, it's literally her conscience, like, please fucking stop what you're about to do because you're going to get hurt or someone else is going to get hurt. And she's always like, that's why in the movie, she's like responding back to this beaver. Like, like, oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, 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 whatever, yada, yada, yada. Because that's what Bernie does. And, like, in the comic book, Bernie's got a big hole through the chest because he got shot one time. Half of the face is burnt off from another time, you know. So, like, Bernie, the, the character in the in the comic book, literally hates the fact that everything that she does, it's somehow he gets fucked up with it. That, see, I mean, there's a, there is a world, there's another alternate dimension where they give like uh i don't know if you're familiar with the director gaspar no who has done just crazy tripped out psychedelic psychosexual films um like or like greg araki he, th- he his t- films are a little more tame now he's an american director and let someone do something really trippy with a character like harley quinn and i mean in a sense that's kind of what nolan did with batman um, just made something otherworldly 
really transported the character into his world instead of the other way around. And I think that's kind of what can be successful. Uh, that's kind of, I mean, I think that's what happened with uh, Logan, you know, James yeah. Mangold. I think that was really more of a Mangold film than it was uh, 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 an X-Men film. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. Well, we've been talking a lot, um, but uh, I do want to say one thing is, are you excited? I want to ask you for this next round of Marvel movies, because I feel like the Eternals and like all this is like the shit of like why I like DC and why I thought Marvel was just like kind of a little kooky. I was, I'm not really interested. I can see Captain America, Thor, all this, but this other stuff that they're moving into this next phase, do you, are you excited about that or how do you feel? See, I don't know. I mean, I don't know everything that is coming out, but like the Eternals and stuff, like those are, I, I don't know. I, when you start going, I guess, into, I guess, deep cut characters, if yeah. I'm correct with that. I agree. You know, you know, when, like you said, Captain America, Thor, these are things that for the layman that doesn't read a ton of comics, they at least know who that is. Yeah. You know, Guardians of the Galaxy was kind of a deep cut. Yes. You know, but the, it was but it fun. was right. It was perfect. It, it was the right type of thing to go into. Um, like, what was it? The, the They did a TV show of the Inhumans. Yeah. Not very successfully. Yeah, not very successful because you know what? No one identified with that. <laughs> no one cares. That's what I'm. I, 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 I don't know. My thought was maybe Corona is an opportunity for them to reassess and just skip right to the X Men because to me, yeah, that's the best stuff that Marvel for did. God's sake, man! Like if they want to resurrect the X Men, uh, Fantastic Four, yeah. you know the things that have been left to the wayside that you want to bring back and bring into this cinematic universe. If you're keeping it still the same construct, that's what I want to see. I don't want to see some character that I have no idea who it is. Yeah. And I think that I don't want to see that. Yeah. The concept too, that these like the eternal and it's like similar to like Thanos, like he's a God being type thing. Like, I think once you start going there, you're going to start losing people. It's not like X-Men is easy to understand and you can relate it so much to, I mean, it really was uh, basically allegory to racism and homophobia in America. Immigrant story was a part of that. Mm -hmm. um, it was so much, world, you know, you have the World War II angle. There is so much that is involved in X-Men where they have like such ripe territory that I think people could really latch on to and it could become similar to like Black Panther and the other opportunities that they've had to do something new in this way. Uh, X-Men has that capability, whereas I don't think like a bunch of like eternal like in space alien movies, even though I'm a big sci-fi guy. I think I don't know that Marvel did that so fantastically. I think the X-Men stuff, when they did it with X-Men, I liked it better because it was grounded with the X-Men. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I totally think, you know, going into that route with the, the mutant registration. Yeah. Yep. And the, the Sentinels and stuff. Like there's so many things that are paralleling our today's world that it would be at least relevant. It would at least be something that people can latch onto and have a connection to rather than storylines and stuff that people are like, wait a second, who's this? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, all right, man, I've had, we've had talked for about an hour. We've learned about Rippy. We've learned about Zack Snyder. We've learned about Harley Quinn. Anything else that uh, you want to say before we uh, head out here, buddy? No, man. I mean, this was a great time. You know, I thank you for having me on here. You know, it was, it was awesome talking about geekdom. I mean, being a geek is a great thing uh, that a lot I have had to actually explain that to people recently that, <laughs> that be proud to be a geek. Um, you know, just let your geek flag fly and realize that, you know, there's a lot of coolness in this world and you get to enjoy it. Yeah. And where can people check you out on the interwebs? 
Well, the best place to follow me, I guess, is my photo pages is uh, James Rippey Photography and James Rippey Artist on Instagram. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, on Facebook. Uh, on Instagram, it's, uh, I believe, James Rippey Photography as well. I just had to rename everything since I changed the, the company. But James Rippey Photography, look me up. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram and see some of my work on there. That's where the best way to find me. All right, buddy. Well, it took us too long to do a podcast together, and I hope it's not long before we do another one, brother, because this was an easy hour. It was fun. I've always loved talking to you. You're always a super interesting and motivated guy. And what I've always loved about you, man, is that you just do shit. Like you're not like a talker. Like you said, you were just like, what celebration? All right, I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) You know, man, you just, you're, you're kind of like me. Like I can't sit still. You, you have such an active imagination and you get out and do it. So I've always appreciated that. When you came up and you're like, Hey, you want to do a podcast? I'm like, fuck yeah, let's do this. (laughs) Now we have. We did it. The podcast is done. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks, Rippy, of course, for coming on. I'll have all those links in the show notes. Check out dvrpodcast.com. I got a couple shows coming up. I think I've been talking to Gina about us doing a show where we kind of talk about Watchmen and Handmaid's Tale and how those two shows relate to what's going on in our world today, which I think will be interesting. And uh, got some other stuff I'm going to be doing this weekend for the patrons. Heath and I, and uh, we got a guest, Jeff, is going to come on and we're going to talk about the Star City Murders, Heath's film that is still in pre-production and the Kickstarter that's going on. So check out that on the Patreon. That's patreon.com slash DVR. Thanks, everybody, for listening and downloading. Throw us a review. We do appreciate it. Peace out, everybody.